At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Greg Peterson here, and welcome to the eighth bonus episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where we work together educating and inspiring you to become part of your food revolution. Healthy food is something that everybody wants. Delicious and nutritious and right outside your own door is even better. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or visit IWantToGarden.com and you'll receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Today on our podcast, we have someone who knows what it is like to give up the urban lifestyle for one much more connected to nature. We're talking with returning guest Scotty Jones about transitioning from city life to rural life. Scotty lived in Arizona for a while where she worked at Arizona State University for over a decade. Then she and her husband gave up the busy urban life by moving to Oregon, starting Leaping Lamb Farm and becoming sheep farmers. She loved this lifestyle very much and has opened her home to visiting families through her other passion of farm stays. This journey and the transition to a farming lifestyle became the basis for her new book, Country Grit, A Farmoir of Finding Purpose and Love, through Skyhorse Publishing. It describes their first years on the farm, the mistakes, the drama, the community, and what it's like to adopt the farming lifestyle if it's not where you're from. Welcome back to the show today, Scotty. Are you ready to rock? I am ready to rock. Excellent. So we got to know you when you joined us for podcast 237, and you introduced us to farm stays, which is where people can stay on a farm for a vacation and experience the wonders of farm life. Now you are here to talk about your new book, Country Grit, A Farmoir of Finding Purpose and Love. Can you tell us what inspired you to write this book? Sure, I'd love to. This book actually started as a number of emails back to my friends in Phoenix when we first got to the farm. And that was because everything was so desperate and so different from what we expected, knew, thought, imagined was going to life was going to be like on the farm. And my mother said to me after the irrigation blew up for the umpteenth time, you ought to keep a diary. So I sent emails back to my friends that said, from Oregon, Dear Diary, and I wrote probably every two to three days just as a release for all of the horrible things that were happening and the potentially horrible mistake we had made. That turned in a couple years later into a blog because blogs became something that we all could share. And then that just continued for a while until it sort of stopped because my stories were repeating and I was over the drama that you talked about. And then it sat for a while and I had had friends who had said, you know, you ought to make this into a book. It's kind of funny. My husband and I got together and he helped edit this into an actual story that we thought we should share with people. 
Nice. The book came out in September, and I should mention that it's called a farmoir because if you look back, there are lots of people who have written stories about moving to the farm, starting with The Egg and I, that I think came out in the 1930s or 40s. Mm. And it is often about city people moving to the country and what that was like for them. So Country Grit, a farmoir of finding purpose in love. I am looking at the front cover, and is that you sitting in the barn with red boots on? That is not me sitting up there holding the lamb. That is a friend of ours, but that is my donkey down below. And I do want to mention that that is not Photoshopped. Those boots are really on him. He was fairly irritated about that. (laughs) I am Photoshopped out of the picture. I am right behind that door holding him with a halter and a lead rope. But I should also mention that that green that's on the barn, that is not Photoshop. That is what our barn looks like in the winter when there's been a lot of rain. Ah, yes. That's a friend of ours sitting up there. The photo was taken in January. She was freezing to death. The photographer wanted her to wear this light little dress. And we had had lambs by accident. So that is how she has a lamb in her arm. Oh, wow. It's a beautiful, beautiful cover. The first line of the first page of the book Let me begin with the simple truth. I was not born to be a farmer. Tell me about that. Well, I really was born in Connecticut and grew up there. We had some horses. I went to prep school. I went to college. I think my parents had me set up to marry a banker out of New York City. I mean, that's kind of what you did back then. Mm -hmm. I moved west. I um, went to college in Colorado, and I just kept going west. I didn't ever imagine being a farmer, maybe a rancher, riding in a dude ranch, chasing cows, but (laughs) being a farmer was pretty far away from any aspiration that I had. Mm -hmm. So what was the inspiration or the, the motivation, the propulsion, let me use that word, that pushed you into being a farmer? I would say we had lived in Phoenix for 22 years. Uh, My husband's from Phoenix. He's fourth generation. He was a very good gardener. We had a big greenhouse. But I think we were looking for a change. Phoenix had grown a lot since I had moved there in the early 80s. And we were just looking for something different. We were on a treadmill. We were not very connected with each other. And we were looking for water, quite honestly. Mm. 9-11 had happened. We were just feeling like we didn't control anything that really mattered. If you Google, this is probably not true, but if you Google green water, moisture, you'd probably come up with Oregon. And that was the bent that we had. We had looked up in Colorado and up in New Mexico, and we just decided there were the same water and there were the same urban sprawl problems that we had down in Phoenix. So we started looking in Oregon, and we found our farm on the Internet. Oh, really? Glory be to the Internet. Oh, yeah. We found our farm on the Internet. I remember Greg looking and saying, hey, wouldn't this be great? And I was like, we could never own a place like that. And we basically traded our property in Tempe for this farm. Nice. Yeah. It's called being naive at 50. Our tax guy said, wouldn't it have been cheaper to have bought a little red sports car? And yes, it would have been cheaper, but it wouldn't have been nearly the adventure. Yeah, not nearly as much fun. Not nearly as much fun or learning curve. (laughs) People have asked me, would I do it again? And I, yes, I would do it again because of the adventure of it. Mm -hmm. It would have been better to have known a little more, researched a little more, maybe come up with a business plan. But that's kind of what the book is about. It's about moving to the countryside 
without a lot of background in what you're doing, and then having the people in the community surround you and help you, taking your education and getting more educated, and then learning, learning. I mean, I consider myself part of that Oregon Trail. Those pioneers who came out here, they didn't know anything either. But I do think the book is also about not being deluded about what's involved in farming. Mm -hmm. I wish we'd been younger. Farming is physically really, really hard. Farming is not anything about making a lot of money. So it's about a lifestyle and it's about growing good food for other people. For me with the farm stay, it's about sharing what farming is all about. And I think I mentioned this before that there are so many people removed from farming these days. They don't have grandma and grandpa's farm to go back right. to. There's only 2% of Americans live on farms. That's it. That means 98% of Americans are disconnected for the most part from what farming is. This book kind of talks about how we thought we were going to make it as sheep farmers Oh, no. No, no, no. Sheep farming is a zero-sum proposition. We had to add that farm stay in order to be able to stay on the farm Mm -hmm. because that was a diversification strategy that most farmers are very creative. It's incredible with the ideas they come up with so that they can run their farms. I had a friend a couple of decades ago whose father was a farmer, and he farmed and he ran an air conditioning business. And back then, it had me start looking at this whole notion of farming. And when you look at our array of farmers over the past couple of centuries, many of them did farming and something else. Right. Well, and when we moved here, Greg ended up being a professor. He taught for the last 10 years mm-hmm. um, at a community college. So there had to be other income coming in. We've now managed to make the farm stay be a major driver. But up to that point, you know, selling sheep and selling hay wasn't going to make it. And that's true of all small farms. And small farms are going to be 200000 and less in gross revenues if you want to put a kid through college. So you have an excerpt from your book about your first day on the farm. Would you mind reading it for us? No, I would love to. Here we go. This is one of the very first chapters called Oregon Green. We arrived the morning of the third day. The sun was just starting to peek over the mountains, casting long blue shadows. It was chilly in the shade, but where the sun hit, there was a promise of a beautiful day. We led the horses, wild-eyed and snorting, out of their dark trailer and into the abundant green of Oregon. We loosed their halters and watched them run, in sheer panic. They looped the field several times at a full gallop until they could no longer sustain the pace and slowed, frothy and sweating, to a hoppy canter. We realized we were going to have to catch these two hotheads and walk them off to prevent them getting chilled. Catching them with 60 acres of sprinting room would take some doing. Before we could put that plan into action, we heard the agitated screams of our girls. Cisco the bad dog was making for the woods with a chicken in his mouth. Both girls were in hot pursuit. Patches, the good dog, had dutifully dropped her chicken when commanded, but was now accompanying Cisco into his flight from justice. And Beazle the cat, who complained incessantly about riding in a car, was balled up under the front seat, refusing to come out. It would require heavy-duty leather gloves to overcome his objections. Thus concluded the first hour of our new life on the farm, and with it came the puncture of another delusion. We assumed our animals would be at home in nature. Instead, they were unbalanced and frightened by it. Like us, they were at home, at home. It's familiarity that instills comfort. It would take them weeks to get their bearings and months to become country animals. Until then, their lives were in peril. 
Coyotes and owls consider city cats the country equivalent of fast food. Dogs that run at livestock, including chickens, are shot on sight. And thousand-pound horses can tangle in barbed wire and shred themselves to the bone in minutes. We were naive to presume to know country ways for our animals. Green is the color of Oregon. It reflects the botanical abundance of the state and is represented in everything from the license plates to the football team at the university. It is also an apt description of new immigrants to the state. That day we learned the truth of Oregon green. It applies to animals as much as people, and for both it takes lots of experience to replace the green with bark. Wow, that's an extraordinary piece. Thank you so much for sharing it. <laughs> well, thank you. That's years of writing a blog and then having, I have to give credit to my husband, Greg, for heavy-duty editing. He's a good writer, too. It's a combined experience. You have a beautiful book here. How does it make you feel to actually have it out there in the world? It feels great. It was a major process to find an agent and to find a publisher and to have it valued like that, that people would actually say, yeah, you know what, with all the books that are out there, we would like to publish this book for you, is great. Because I had so many friends who said, this needs to be a book, this needs to be a book. But that's yeah, going from a blog to a book is a big leap. When I said there's a lot of farm wars out there, a lot of them are funny, and we do have funny stories in this. But this is also a cautionary tale about what farming is really like. And I think Greg did a really good addendum at the end. He did a lot of research about farming in America and farming in the 21st century. There is some really good analysis, and it's not hard to read. He wrote it, and he wrote that part himself, and it's in a very simple format about where your food is coming from and how it gets to you and, and why you would maybe want to support small farms for diversification. Yes, our big industrial farms are totally necessary to feed the world, and we're not saying that that's a bad kind of farming, but there are the rest of us doing something good too. I think we're on a little bit of a mission here to educate people about small-scale farming and the importance of that diversification strategy. Yeah. Well, and you've done that with Farm Stays quite well. Can you remind us a little bit about what Farm Stays is? Sure. Farm Stays, most people don't know that they exist. A lot of us open up our doors to guests to come stay with us, if only for a weekend. We are hands-on, a lot of us. You can help us with chores if you want. You are paying to stay with us, so it's not required. Mm -hmm. For my guests, for instance, they can collect eggs, they feed the chickens, they help during lambing season. I need those extra hands to help me. They can hold lambs, baby goats, uh, brush my donkey. And then a lot of times what people do is they just are in the farm. They are at the farm. They get to be calm. They get to listen to the sounds of it. They get to play and relax, not worry about doing their laundry at home or doing their chores or driving children to uh, soccer games. So it's kind of coming out to the country and being in the country. Farmstay US is a website that will give people access to farms all over the... Arizona has farms and ranches that offer farm stays. So when you think about the landscape of your farm stay website and the people that are there, does, is there one that stands out for you? In Arizona, Three Sparrows Farm, which is up in Prescott, they have mini mancha goats. We stay in a cabin. It's not too far out of the city. There are also some ranches that you all have. So I consider it's farms and ranches. They're working operations. There's M Diamond Ranch, which is up 
Rock, Arizona, and there's also Cold Creek Ranch in Clifton, Arizona. These are family ranches. They are working cattle ranches. So up there you get to see, you know, what do you do on a ranch? How do you herd the cattle? How do you catch the cattle? What are the kinds of things you need to do? On the Three Sparrows Farm, they milk those goats, I believe. And so you can practice your hand and find out that maybe milking isn't quite as easy as it looks <laughs> right. on TV. I have had that experience as well. It's like, oh, not working the way it looked like it was going to work. There are other ones in Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado. Those are going to be closer to you guys. But all over the country are farms who are figuring out. It's as hard as for us to, to educate farms that, hey, mm-hmm. you might want to invite guests to come visit and add some extra income to your bottom line. I get guests from Arizona on a regular basis. So that's always fun in the summer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it sounds like Farm Stays has been fairly successful for you. It has been, yes. The Farm Stay for us allowed us to stay on the farm. Starting the association and the website has allowed me to get to know a lot more farmers around the country and be able to kind of help market them. So this book is also gives me that platform, quite honestly, to be able to talk about Farm Stays I'm going to be coming to Changing Hands. Let's talk about that. You're, you're going to be at Changing Hands bookstore here in Phoenix. So tell us about that. I am coming on Sunday the 29th to do a reading and a book signing up at their Phoenix store. The Changing Hands owner, Gail Shanks, is a very good friend of mine. So she has been totally behind helping me promote this book. I'm also going to be down at the Tucson Festival of Books in March. Oh, nice. Yeah, talking about the book and being on a panel. So I'm excited to actually be able to get out and about and tell the world about farm stays and tell the world about our experience. And mm-hmm. and I don't want to discourage people from thinking that they might move to a farm because we've certainly had people here checking that out. It's just to do it with your eyes open. Right. It's been rewarding and we have good food and we have happy animals and, and we have great guests. Nice. So that's Changing Hands Bookstore in Phoenix, Arizona. Sunday, October 29th at 5 p.m. That's the Camelback and 3rd Avenue location. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Scotty. You are very welcome. I love to talk with you, Greg, and I'm very excited that you asked me to come back. Thanks. Well, especially about your book. I always love it when we have friends that write books because it's such an epic experience of going through writing the book and then sharing about it. Again, Changing Hands, Sunday, October 29th, 5 p.m., and how can our listeners get a hold of you? They can find me at FarmStayUS at www.farmstayus.com. My email is scotty, S-C-O-T-T-I-E, at farmstayus.com. I'm also at Leaping Lamb Farm, so you can find that by Googling Leaping Lamb Farm on the Internet. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash country grit. And if you would like to hear more about Farm Stays, an epic way to vacation, you can find our 237th podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash farmstay. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Healthy food is something that everybody wants. Delicious and nutritious and right outside your own door is even better. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or visit IWantToGarden.com and you'll receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org 
or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.